0: Hello everybody, I'm Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live, live and uncut if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on Spotify or any other channel. Tonight I've got a serial entrepreneur, a friend of mine Sanjay Patel who uh, started his entrepreneur business from university and uh, has got into all sorts of businesses. Sanjay, welcome, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Sanjay, Tell us a snapshot of um, of your life and your career. You're muted, Sanjay. I'm gonna... Um, Is that good? Yeah, that's muted? good. Yeah, give us a snapshot.
1: Um, so just to give you a bit of a background, um, I was a young um, five-year-old when we came over in 1972 from Uganda. Uh, my parents um, had businesses etc in Uganda we came over here they came with very little and um, obviously needed to make ends meet they we started off in East London settling <laughs> down in East London um, hence I'm a slight, slight West Ham supporter as well and and we ended up moving around um, to where the work was so uh, um, you know bought up with uh in different homes different schools and uh various ventures that my parents sort of uh, uh dabbled in uh, went into really and uh sort of was brought up in that sort of background um so a lot, lot a lot of my learnings are were with um with uh, various businesses um be it small um generally started off with a uh, with the corner shop and uh worked up from there um so that's sort of my background. and then I went, went to university and um saw some opportunities and uh, started investing in property being one of the the mainstays of my uh of my career. Uh, so property investment um is where I uh, sort of saw an opportunity when I was at Portsmouth uh, Polytechnic as it was then before it became a university.
0: and um you've obviously got an eye for a deal. Where did you get that sort of entrepreneurial um what should I call spirit? Because there's a number of people like me that are bankers on here and we were always really cautious and just couldn't get our heads around uh, taking risks.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably learnt uh, and picked up by osmosis being around my parents. Um, obviously saw them taking various risks, not that I understood them. Um, but, you know, we we're always going from one place to another and almost uh, like the Indian del boy of... <laughs> Of it was my father. So um um having that sort of around you and then learning and um watching sort of negotiations and um my father and mother sort of thinking on their feet um to um to do deals and buy and sell businesses and be involved with them um most predominantly. Um I remember when I was um probably about fourteen, um, I was uh, regularly going to travel across from Wembley to um, uh, near East Ham uh, near bakery making um, yeah. rolls and what have you uh, to to then say as wholesale um, father used to deliver uh, wholesale bread rolls to the lights of Whitbread um, um, and I was part I was part of it uh, and then go straight back to, to school um, absolutely fatigued and falling asleep in the classrooms but, but that, was, that was the norm. Uh, mm-hmm. So so picking that up um, from childhood, I think you just innately um, grow
0: to see deals and, and see opportunities. You become who you spend the most time with. And when you see your parents doing that, I guess you do it. They, they left Uganda in a hurry, did they, with Idi Amin, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, from memory, that uh, 24 hours to leave. Um, wow. We had uh, actually vivid memories of it. Um, I, I remember the uh, the army generals coming along with guns, etc., of an evening, and the next thing I knew, we were in a on a plane. The following morning, um, heading to wherever we headed to, and uh, thankfully we um, we landed in uh, in Great Britain at uh, Heathrow. And uh, and I must say, you know, probably looking back, probably the best thing that's happened to our family. Um, because uh, whatever complaints people have about Britain, I think it's got a lot to offer, and uh, as long as you work hard and uh, keep your nose clean, it's, uh, you can you can you can make something of yourself.
0: Absolutely, it's actually the fifth richest country in the world GDP terms, and I just wonder why everyone moans and complains. But there we are. So tell us about Portsmouth and how you got into that business. Um,
1: so when I was studying, I was studying uh, biomedical science, um, as you do, but as an Asian, had to. Uh, <laughs> follow follow the guidance and uh study the sciences um heart wasn't in it but you know needed a degree below my belt and um i saw an opportunity when uh, i was looking for property uh to rent for the following year with my friends and just quickly doing the numbers you know we're actually the six of us and we're going to be paying this much rent um how much does a house cost and you know it sort of started from there very naively um and looked at the numbers and i'm thinking. Actually makes quite a lot of money um, in terms of return uh, on, on capital, not that I had the capital. Um, and then very swiftly went on to, well, actually, th- this could this could be a thing. This could make money. And actually I could live rent-free. Um, so save save me um, some money. And um, number crunched, got to talk to various people, trying to figure out how we do, you know, how we purchase. Um, and buy-to-lets then and student accommodation then uh, wasn't a thing as it is today, Um, it's actually an asset class today Um, and those days we had to go and see a bank manager and put a business case together and I will be, uh, I can remember uh, the first bank manager I saw and uh, very, very uh, grateful to him taking taking a punt on a young a 20, 20, year old, 18, 19, 20 year old. Um, no business acumen, no business um uh, experience, and put a uh business plan together. Obviously impressed him enough and answered the right questions for him to look into my eyes and, and, and take a point and said, I'll, I'll, I'll back you. Um but he did look at me and said, do not let me down, because obviously he's putting his mm. I knew then, again, what I do now. Um yeah putting his reputation on the line um, and I never forget that um, and I did everything I could to make sure that I didn't let him down um, so that was the first that payment that went out you know even during, the bad, during the bad times so it started from there and um, lo and behold that the, the ethos was better quality accommodation um, good service which wasn't around then if you remember the young ones uh, various, uh, various individuals will remember the young ones then that was the sort of standard of student accommodation and um, I just wanted a better quality of accommodation, uh, better rentals, better returns and
0: um, really haven't lived back since. Mm -hmm. Now the market's changed on that I know you've got a few properties down there um, uh, or more than a few but uh, what's happening for uh, HMOs which is um, houses of multiple occupancy because the law's changing like crazy isn't it at the moment or we're not sure what the law's doing?
1: Yeah over the last 20-30 years um, we've gone from virtually non-existent laws um, as HMOs, Um, they were bedsets originally, or known as bedsets then, with cooking facilities within rooms. Um, There was no real um, category uh, for student accommodation, it was just buy a property, how many bedrooms can you get out of it, Uh, need a kitchen and a bathroom and that's it. Back in the eighties, so in the nineties, in nineteen ninety-six, there was a, uh, a Housing Standards Act that was brought in, um, which required um, a standard uh, of housing uh, in terms of number of occupation, a number of occupants, number of um, uh, facilities such as toilets and bathrooms, sizes of living accommodation, sizes of living rooms, sizes of kitchens, which was a sort of guideline, but wasn't really enforced until. 2000s um so we adhered to to those sort of regulations knowing it was coming in um fire regulations fire panels things like that um so there has been various changes over the decades for the better because um i think we'd all agree that um good quality stock um is it has been difficult to find over the years and um the government have, have actually enforced this uh on local landlords that said i think um with the changes that are potentially coming through. It's swinging very much the tenant's way rather than the landlord's way. So there's no landlord sort of um, getting out of the market um, because it's quite, uh, can be quite litigious, um, a lot more admin based. Um, and um, tenants, not that they have more rights, tenants tend to, um, in the perception of having more rights, tend to create more hassle for the landlords than, than is required. But you know, even, even for landlords who are running good ships, um, it just becomes a bit more um, steeped in bureaucracy, mm. for better word. Mm. Um, which then affects returns. Uh, and unfortunately, when the government get involved and uh, start uh, legislating or passing party, party legislation without really understanding the marketplace, um, it affects the people they're trying to help negatively and my point in case is tenants you know tenants need better quality accommodation but it needs to be affordable because um uh, rental prices have really shot up over the last mm. decade um the legislation that's likely to come that the rental reform bill which is likely to come in in, in some way shape or form uh, is actually pushing landlords good quality private landlords out of the market which then skews the supply demand issue so there's less supply there's a higher demand which only pushes up prices which is actually then having a detrimental effect for the tenants who are now having to pay more for the same with a sweep of a brush in terms of a rental reform bill that is just being talked about at the moment so it's, it's just going through parliament at the moment so it's um it's not uh, in force but just that process has forced a lot of landlords out of the marketplace
0: i think i read that uh, over a million private landlords had left the marketplace in the last two years
1: yeah that's coupled with um tax changes you know if, if one invested in property with a limited company um uh, there's are there are tax benefits uh, as opposed to sole trader as such um so that and that sort of happened over the last five six years uh, and it's sort of biting now with the mortgage rates increasing um, with standard um the Accommodation being needed upgrading. The effects of the EPC regulation, uh, standard D as a minimum, um, is required from here on in. Um, So there's a lot of investment required Mm. from landlords um, and the returns aren't there. So uh, it's it's unfortunately pushing a lot of private, certainly properties in the private rental sector, uh, out of the market.
0: Okay, can we turn to Um, serviced accommodation now because that's an area that you've uh, identified as an opportunity both in Bournemouth and in Liverpool um, I know they're a long way apart but so can you tell us about both of those
1: yeah so serviced accommodation is um, almost uh, a, an offering similar to hotels but with a slightly different um, sort of Slightly different offering in terms of check-ins and check-outs, so short-term stays. Um, have the good quality accommodation ranging from one-bedroom to eight-bedroom flat uh, properties. Um, where you've got linen towels, you've got maids coming in cleaning uh, and changing towels on on a, on a regular basis. Um, but at lower cost than than hotels. Um, and you've got a larger living accommodation by virtue of having living rooms and. Uh, kitchens to, to use as you wish. So it helps with, with families particularly. Um, and in Liverpool, where Anfield is uh adding another eight to ten thousand um, seats uh to their stadium uh completion this this year um there's been a lack of good quality accommodation on match nights a lot of lot of lot of supporters travel up to Liverpool um and so much so, hotel rooms, even in Liverpool, on match days, can, uh, can go as much as £300, £250 a night, which is astronomical, because it's, it's still Liverpool at the end of the day. <laughs> um, so this is where uh, sort of serviced accommodation, either by room by room or in terms of um, uh, houses, uh, that can be provided three, four-bedroom houses. Um, there's an opportunity there that can be exploited, uh, which we're um, which we're working on currently, um, buying very close to the stadium, um, properties that are relatively cheap, and um, refurbishing them completely, um,
0: ready to uh, ready to uh, rent out for the next season. So will you rent those out for 26 matches uh, only? Is that the plan? So that they're there for um, Norwegian and Swedish supporters coming over, Irish supporters and that sort of thing? Absolutely. So
1: we've got the home matches, uh, Premier League matches, uh, any FA Cup matches, home matches, any uh, Carling Cup matches at home, and sadly not UEFA, but um, any European football um, uh, matches. Uh, And they... They can attract something like thirty days a year, um, and depending on the type of property, from three hundred pounds for a for a bedroom um, to six hundred pounds for a house for, for for one night. So it's a good good return, and the property prices are starting to um, gather a little bit of pace there. But but it's still um, the returns are sort of 20 25 percent returns
0: on capital, which is which is not really achievable elsewhere. Hmm. markets. How will you market that though? That's difficult to market, is it?
1: Uh spare rooms. Um no, it's it's not, it's, it's very, very, very um, you know, booking.com, places like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's lots of avenues uh, to book where we, we trialed um service accommodation um over the last year or so and uh in other areas as well including uh Guildford and mortal and they work really well
0: and it's it's similar to airbnb is it really it's, it's pretty much an airbnb absolutely. Yeah. yeah and then you get someone to manage it change the towels and the linen it sounds hassle to me but then um then you know how to do it um
1: it is hassle but um you know we've got uh, ties with uh local agents that will um carry out they will will we carry out all the bookings etc on the back end uh which is pretty much all well automated and um uh, we have local uh, agents who deal with the actual check-ins, check-outs, turnarounds, cleaning, et cetera, et cetera, On set fees, so it works reasonably well. Um, and they have an they have an in uh, to our booking system, so they know who's coming in, when, uh, phone numbers, uh, ETAs, um, contact details. So they 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 deal with the sort of on-site management, which is the difficulty for most landings uh, if they're managing it themselves it's, it's very time consuming
0: now you're, doing this, you're doing a similar thing in bournemouth aren't you because i looked up where purbeck road is and it's halfway between the hilton hotel and the marriott which uh, are the only real uh, classy hotels in bournemouth as far as i can remember when i was last down there a few weeks ago is was that a strategic plan Absolutely. Um, so Bournemouth, uh,
1: through the numbers, uh, there's a dire there's a shortage of good quality accommodation there as well. Um, and again, landlords are getting out the, of that space. Um, and we, the recent purchase uh, through, pre-auction actually, um, it's a seven bedroom h quite run down. Um, we've got it at a, at a very good price. Um, we will um, we actually complete it on tomorrow. And then uh, we'll give the tenants notice um, and convert to a nine-bed HMO um, and uh, refurb, at a much uh, so uh, to have had a much higher rental return. And again, that scenario um, returns somewhere in the region of twenty-five percent. Wow! So it's, um, it's it's a good little uh, good little investment. Um, with HMOs, anything up to six bedrooms is classed as a HMO. Anything over seven, over six bedrooms. Uh, is classed as what we call a sui generis, which is, requires a different planning, uh, has different planning criteria, and guidelines, and requirements. Um, and these uh, already have a sui generis status, um, and that can be quite difficult for planning um, uh, planning committees to um, to support. But um, but
0: it's understanding the nitty gritty, um, which, which which is the deal maker which you clearly which you clearly do do so is that so is that um marketed at the tourist or will it be marketed at a tourist in the summer and the business people in the winter
1: um it's a mixture so we've got uh, properties there uh, which are marketed to purely tourism and other properties which are long-term single bed lets um it's it's surprising how difficult it is to find a good quality rental at a reasonable price. In our day, we could find a, a one-bedroom flat at a reasonable price. Um, nowadays, that may, and it's not a reasonable price it's quite a high price. Um, we'll probably only secure a, a one-bedroom ensuite, sharing with others in a in a, in a, in a, in a large HMO. Um, that's, that's what the youngsters are facing nowadays, unfortunately. And I believe um, the next generation will be long, lifelong renters rather than property owners. It's just becoming
0: unaffordable to purchase auction values. Do you think the property market will come down with interest rates at 6.9%? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I sort of
1: was predicting it about a year ago that um, there will be a a crash at some stage. It's just taken a lot longer than I expected. Mm. Um, But it's definitely a feeling like the the crashes of of the 90s and the 80s. Funding is just tight. Uh, liquidity is tight. Uh, affordability is tight. Uh, and something has to give, unfortunately. And I believe that the property prices will. They've already started to fall, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But I believe there's there's a long way to go still. The-
0: okay, now here's the question I want to ask you. You know, being an entrepreneur, being uh, very smart, why did you invest some money in Barrytown Football Club? <laughs> so, I'd never
1: heard of Barry Town Football Club before, before it was brought to my attention. And um, lo and behold, uh, when I invested, I was, I was informed that this, would you be interested in buying a, a, a club that's in the Champions League at a knockdown price and, um, you know, racked my head thinking, who could it be? And we went through the, you know, the top six and thought, well, I'm not going to be investing in it. It's, it's way out of money. And, you um, Lo and behold, Barry Town um, at that point in time um, was in the Champions League because it uh, it won their it won the Welsh League. And um a friend of mine by the name of John Fashion, who's a, who a ex-England footballer, um was also a Nigerian uh, minister for football in, um and basically had the inn for uh Nigerian players who were coming out of from football clubs out to um Europe and uh the opportunity there was um, to uh, secure good quality Nigerian talent, um, and maybe not play for Barrytown, but actually certainly go through our books and, and sell on. Um, so we, and that, and that actually, that that was the sort of strategy, and it, and it actually made sense, and it worked well for a, a good few years, um, where we continued to win the the FA Cup and the, we did the double <laughs> on a regular basis.
0: Well, Not the, there's that much competition, to be fair. You mean the Welsh FA Cup, don't the you? The Welsh
1: FA Cup, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you remember one of our first signings. I don't know if you remember the beast, yeah, he's known as um, Adi Akinfenwa. Uh, he's still around at the moment. I think he played for Northampton.
0: Right. Um, but he was one of our first
1: signings. Um, came from uh, um, a Nigerian club through to us, and then uh, we sold him on. I think he went to Leyland Lake, Lake Orient. So, um, but, the, but the transfer fees. Although not as big as the, the Premier League, the transfer fees actually made us quite a lot of money.
0: Wow, well, well done. I bet Cardiff City were uh, is quite close by, isn't it? I bet they were envious.
1: Yeah, they, unfortunately, they, they, they weren't in the same league. Um, they played at Ninian Park initially um, and I forget the owner's name then. Um, but they were re- reasonably successful because they they came through um, our our English league, and I believe um, they were uh, at that stage in the second division or first division. But they had a a, a, a very um, uh, small stint in the first division for a while.
0: No,
1: I believe some time ago. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the same as Wrexham. You know, Wrexham's another one doesn't play in the Welsh league; plays in the uh, uh, English league. Of um, so uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that works. If you know,
0: yeah. Club you teams. I think they've always done it, haven't they? I think they, they have. They have. So that's the uh, the reason for that. Um, okay. Uh, but it was a good
1: time. It was good. It was fun. And I would say, so
0: never, you were ever,
1: never, ever invest in a football club. <laughs> Tearing
0: my hair out. <laughs> so you were the chairman, were you? Did you go to every game?
1: No, I was a non-exec director, and yeah, I went to quite a few games. Um, it was great fun. It was a good giggle actually, but um it's um it's a world that doesn't I didn't understand that world. <laughs> it doesn't operate like a normal business. It's um, yeah, it's 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 one for it's a story for another time, but it's a uh, it's it was very difficult to get a handle on um, uh, on control of players and transfers, and you know um, the players needed to be moly Um even you know just things like playing pain there electricity bills we have to have dedicated staff to look after them
0: mm. which is astonishing
1: but yeah
0: and they have a lot of agents now they're they're surrounded by all sorts of people aren't they
1: absolutely uh, and they yeah. have their own ulterior as- motives so um it's, it's it's always a challenge it's always a challenge yeah.
0: okay well we're nearly at the end of the interview and questions go into the chat box but uh one tip for budding entrepreneurs watching this on YouTube or on Spotify, what would it be?
1: Oh, I'd, do you know there's not one tip I'd give them. I'd give I'd give probably a few. Okay. Right? So they're all coupled together. Um one is hard work, hard work persistently pays off. Um hard work but work smart. You know, one can work hard without actually working smart and still not get out of a, a situation. Um so working smart in, you know. Just, just look at the reason for for taking certain steps, uh, there's gonna be an end goal um, and we always need luck. <laughs> um, but you know, networking does create that luck, um, networking and, and surrounding yourself with people that inspire uh, and um, inspire yourself and um, uh, create some sort of aspirations. But I think that those sort of things that coupled together um, are a must favor against
0: any entrepreneur i believe sanjay thanks for joining us today will you stay on and answer a few questions um and can i ask members of uh, monday night live to give sanjay the usual round of applause in the uh, in the normal way thank you sanjay thanks for uh, joining us um you can listen to this on uh, spotify you can watch it on youtube again And please join me next week when we've got Anna Gray on, a nutritionist, and Anna's joined us at the moment. Sanjay, once again, thanks so much for joining Monday Night Live. Pleasure.